An old book. A book about witchcraft. You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft. Would you like to have a look around? Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested in witchcraft. I'm your host, Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. All right, welcome back to the Whitewood Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Driscoll, and this week we are going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. So last week we talked about uh, lucid dreaming. We talked about some of the history of just dreaming itself, um, some of the uh, scientific studies that have been published on dreaming and lucid dreaming. We talked about the different stages and patterns that your brain undergoes, different phases of sleep as you enter one stage after the next stage, some of the length of time that you spend in those. We also talked about a couple of different um, hallucinatory states that exist within uh, your sleep, uh, both your hypnagogic and your uh, dream state, your actual REM cycle. So we talked about quite a bit. And for more information on that, I strongly suggest that if you're interested in dreaming, uh, you're interested in lucid dreaming, this episode is going to be more about techniques and some of my personal experiences with dreaming. However, if you're going to attend, uh, attempt to do this yourself, I strongly suggest taking a step back, going back to that other episode, and learning more about kind of how the dream cycle functions, what the scientific breakdown is like, and some of that history, because it is going to act as a very important set of tools to assist in what we're going to definitely make an easier process with a lot of this technique. Uh, we'll definitely have like a roadmap, but it is a complicated process. And so understanding this uh, cycle from that uh, pragmatic standpoint is going to be really useful for anybody who uh, attempts to actually lucid dream. Um, so let's see, uh, to kind of pick up where we left off, we were starting to get to the point where we were, uh, we had already defined what lucid dreaming is. And what I wanted to start this week off with is to talk about lucid dreaming itself, my experiences with it, and that way we have set some expectations as to what's a reasonable expectation for these techniques and practices, but also to be motivating, you know? Um, it's an exciting thing to lucid dream, and to hear what it, the experience is like for others can definitely be something where... Um, it can be a motivation to understand how someone else has been able to control and shape their dream space, uh, and what they did, what it was, what the experience was like, can be exciting and, uh, and motivate us to accomplish it ourselves. I know that that was one of the biggest things for me that really helped. I remember probably where I first started to take lucid dreaming seriously, as opposed to it just be something that. Uh, had happened once or twice or 
maybe I tried for a weekend or whatever, but to really like actually dive into it and be like, no, I'm, I'm going to the bookstore. I'm buying every book they have on lucid dreaming. I'm reading every single one of them cover to cover. I'm going to go spend hours running around, uh, you know, YouTube looking for techniques and all these, you know, websites and stuff, trying to find out exactly how to do it. And I'm doing this every single day until I figure this out. Um, before I had that kind of like really taking it serious moment, what had happened was I was working with, uh, someone who I still consider to be one of my very close friends. And, uh, basically we were coworkers at the time we had, you know, definitely hit it off and had a lot of fun talking about, you know, video games or different, you know, current events and had a lot of fun joking around around the office. But this particular day, we were just kind of talking to each other on the way out of the office. And I think not being in a professional setting is a great way to kind of open up about other stuff that maybe you wouldn't feel as comfortable talking about in a professional setting. And so it was kind of funny as we exited the building, we started talking about some of the more, you know, spiritual side of life and some of the things that we were interested in and some of our experiences. And while we were having that conversation, and I would rank this conversation on probably one of the top 10 conversations I've ever had in my life, you know, where just for hours we sat in the parking lot, not wanting to, oh, we both had our own cars. We could have just drove home at any point, but I feel like neither one of us was really pressed for time and neither one of us really wanted to leave the conversation. And so we just sat there in the parking lot long after many of our other coworkers had left. Like I said, several hours had passed and we were just enjoying it, you know? And the topic of conversation made its way to, you know, some of the kinds of topics that uh, we talk about here on the show. One of them being lucid dreaming and uh, another being like astral projection and those kinds of things, our interest in those. And so while we were talking about this, my friend had shared his personal experiences with lucid dreaming, and we just had a lot of fun talking about it and opening up with someone. And it turns out that I had many times seen my friend do what's called a reality check, and we're going to talk about a reality check in a minute, how one of those techniques to get you out and out. Um, I had seen my friend do this in the office and just kind of thought it was some of their weird, silly quirkiness that made them the wonderful person that they are. And so I'd never really thought about it. You know, he, he had been doing this around me and it had never really occurred to me that it was anything out of the ordinary. Um, and uh, it turned out that, you know, this person was actively trying to lucid dream and that really reinvigorated my interest in lucid dreaming. And I wanted to dive back into it. And me and my friend in that parking lot that day kind of made a pact that we were going to, you know, really dive in and, and try to take lucid dreaming seriously. And uh, I did. I went to the store, I bought every book that I could find on lucid dreaming. I went online and found, you know, somebody's like top four list or something like that and bought all of those books. And we, I think he had grabbed some books himself and we kind of like traded books a little bit as we read one. Hey, check this one out. What do you think of that? And really... Um, you know, started to be a little more serious with it. And what I found was that it wasn't just me and him that were interested. Um, after a while, you know, we started to become a little bit more comfortable talking about this in the office and finding the language to talk about in the office in a, in a, a way that wasn't, um, I don't know, sometimes spirituality and religion can be offensive to those who are very set in their ways, very much in one spiritual rut, because it, the idea of something existing outside of it challenges their 
safety uh, in, that they're feeling inside that rut. And so a lot of times I will be in an office setting and avoid spiritual concepts entirely. Not because I don't think they're uh, wonderful and positive, but because I don't really want to invite any kind of drama into my life where I might hurt someone else's feelings or make them feel uncomfortable in the workplace. And so um, eventually me and my friend found the right language to use to be communicating about this in a way that was a little bit more on the pragmatic side, a little bit less on the spiritual side. And we hit it uh, immediately found once we started to talk to each other, hey, how did how did you dreaming last night? You know, checking in with each other. That's really helpful to have someone else to go through this with. Um, and um, really just uh, uh, bouncing ideas back and forth and experiences back and forth and what's working, what's not working. And what we found was just about everybody on our team was also interested in it. They all thought it was fascinating. <laughs> and many of them didn't want to try it themselves, but they always wanted to hear our experiences. So even if it wasn't something that they were personally interested in, they were constantly asking like, hey, uh, what happened last night? Did it, did it happen last night? What did you dream last night? Oh, that's really cool. Talk, talk about that. What, what did that make you feel like? And so um, we found very quickly that we were not the only people that were interested in that. Now, this experience also uh, opened up another thing in my life. Because while we were talking about all of these kinds of concepts and things, we found that we were both interested and passionate about it. And the idea was floated at one point about making a podcast and kind of talking about these things uh, in a way that we could broadcast out into the world and hear what other people were thinking about them and, and provide that information for others and hopefully draw some new information towards us by the way that you know people reach out and, and help each other learn. So um, that was an idea that was originally floated with that friend. And unfortunately, me and that friend uh, moved apart from each other. Um, he had uh, moved to another state. And it made it really complicated because we both still kind of wanted to do that project. Um, and we're still very much friends. But the distance made it complicated to work on any kind of a collaborative project that requires a lot of personal attention together. And so in a lot of ways, that parking lot conversation about lucid dreaming really has spawned this podcast. While this is definitely not exactly what we had considered uh, and talked about uh, in the following weeks, um, this is kind of my take on it. That if I wasn't going to have my friend there to help me through the creation process that I was going to kind of put my own spin on it anyway. And this is the podcast that has been created because of that. And it took me many years to be uh, prepared to do a project like that. So this was uh, many years ago that I had this conversation. So it's funny how number one, lucid dreaming can bring people together. Number two, how it can spawn amazing, interesting things like this show. And uh, number three, it's interesting to me how many people are interested in it regardless of their background. Uh, they definitely don't have to be interested in the occult to be interested in lucid dreaming. And it's pretty incredible to me 
to see some facet of life bring people together across those uh, different backgrounds. So it is, uh, in a lot of ways, the reason we have this show is because of lucid dreaming and because of those uh, experiences. So what have my experiences been? Well, um, before that parking lot conversation, I had only had a couple, you know. Uh, at one point, I had tried for a couple of weeks. I had managed to get like a lucid dream or two. I knew that the techniques worked. I didn't really, I don't know, I didn't dive into it as much as I could have at the time. I don't think I was really asking the bigger questions yet. Uh, I was kind of younger, and uh, it was one of those things where it, it hadn't yet become a focal point, but it was just like I knew that there was a door there. I just didn't know how open the door was to me, if that makes sense. Um, then uh, I had had a couple of just lucid dreaming experiences um, more naturally, accidentally. Totally can happen. A lot of people have this happen where they're not attempting to lucid dream and just one night, uh, as a freak accident, they recognize that they're dreaming, they, they lucid dream for a little bit, and then they wake up and they're like, wow, that was pretty fucking weird, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I had just enough experiences with it that I could have a conversation with it and find myself inspired by my friend. My friend was in the same boat. They had, you know... Uh, a little bit of understanding, I uh, probably a little bit more understanding than I did on the techniques and had tried passively throughout, you know, this week or that week and, um, and uh, had one or two experiences. And it was really fun to hear, you know, their experience of, oh, and then I woke up and, you know, I, there was this experience and movement works like this and those kind of things. And uh, I found it really inspiring. So, then we started really diving into it. How can I lucid dream? And after two or three weeks, I found myself extremely successful at it. And my friend found himself moderately successful at it. And I don't know what the reason is there. I, I have no um, I have no definite answer as to, you know, why you know, does it have to do with how many times I was doing certain things, how often, the frequency, the intensity that I was putting into something? Um, I, is there some natural skill involved? I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't have all of the answers. Um, but my friend was able to, once or twice, have experiences where I was more regularly having them. And uh, this is kind of an idea of, you know, some of those experiences, what happened. So... Um, took about two weeks, week and a half, two weeks of doing what we're going to call step one to uh, really start to remember my dreams vividly, long form, to not just remember a couple of seconds at a time, but, you know, long narratives and bring the memory of that back into my waking life. Um, so about a week and a half, two weeks. Some people, it's a little bit more like three. And then step two is really where it's a lot of work. And I feel like this is where a lot of people drop out. Um, but doing uh, what are called reality checks, checking with dream signs, and there's even some uh, more obtruse methods to really assure uh, a lucid dream. 
So then, you know, after a couple of weeks of that, so I'd say probably uh, probably about a month in of these uh, practices daily in order to uh, have something happen, I had what I would consider definitely not my first purposeful lucid dream because as I said, I had some when I was younger, but my first purposeful lucid dream once I had tar started to take it seriously. Uh, it was uh, an interesting experience. I remember... Uh, bits and pieces of the beginning, because that's kind of the nature of dreams. Sometimes they are a little bit more tangible than others. And I remember I was having a dream that had to do with like a hospital. And we weren't at a hospital. We were kind of like in a building that was kind of not a building, if that makes sense. A lot of times when we talk about dreams, we're going to say things that are impossible. Just try to think of them in the abstract sense of, for example, if I was inside and outside at the same time, it kind of means that I was in, you know, a building that might have had two and a half walls and maybe, you know, one and a half openings. And if you looked towards the left side of the room, it was like a, you were indoors. And if you looked to the right side of the room, maybe it wasn't. And maybe that barrier between the two is kind of blurry and it's hard to distinguish whether you are inside or outside. So uh, it was one of those kind of situations. And there was some talk of the hospital. As I remember, there was a... Uh, some kind of a, a road that had gone over a hill and there was uh, some situation that was leading us to need to go into a hospital and uh, what I ended up doing was uh, just kind of walking in the hallway which had then become the hospital and so we were in just these large corporate hallways and we there was a main hallway, and we broke off into a side hallway. It was just behind a door. We opened the door and broke off into a side hallway. And I was with a friend, and my friend was really just kind of cocky and arrogant and having fun and really happy, and it was really, you know, a wonderful friend. And uh, we were having fun, and we were walking past this aquarium. And we've talked a little bit on the other episode about how ideas can become kind of fluid and blend into each other. Well... The idea of the aquarium that we were walking past and the idea of the hallway that we were walking in started to blend with each other. And so uh, we walked past the aquarium and then found ourselves walking through the aquarium, if that makes sense. So there were fish that were swimming around us and above us. And uh, there was kind of no separation between the aquarium and the hallway. And I remember my friend, who is kind of arrogant and cocky, had... Uh, had seen a puffer fish and was like, oh man, you know what we should do is we should cook up a puffer fish uh, like sushi style, like I see on TV. It's supposed to be really, really good. And, but I knew it was, you know, it was dangerous uh, to eat puffer fish. And they said, oh, but I'm sure it'll be fine. I've always got this. Everything I try, I do great at. It'll be fine. And I thought to myself, well, I suppose if you're going to try pufferfish, the place to do it is within a hospital. That would make sense. And so uh, me and my friend uh, grabbed the pufferfish and turned back around and started walking back towards that main hallway, opened the door, and the, the hallway kind of broke off. Uh, so there was, there was a door that we were coming through. There was the hallway leading perpendicular to that. And then on the far side of the hallway was another door and a continuation of a hallway, right? Kind of like a T or like a crossroads. We were coming, crossing that main hallway. 
and uh, I got to the doorway that was the second door and I stopped and I did what was called a reality check where uh, I checked to see if I was dreaming and I tried to push my hand through the door frame and in a moment we'll talk about some of those techniques but in this case just know that it was a technique that I had been practicing and sure enough my hand went through the door frame and my first thought was well first just before I had tried it I knew I said to my friend I said hey I'm doing these reality check things I know that I'm awake it's fine but I'm just gonna do it because it's a thing I'm doing and he's like yeah that's fine and then I went and I pushed my hand through the doorway and it went right through because my hand was not physical and the doorway was not physical and I stopped and my friend disappeared and I stared at my hand which was now up to my elbow in this door and I realized it's happening right now I'm dreaming this isn't my waking reality and that's when I woke up and I was all the way into top lucidity in this moment and when you get into top lucidity sometimes it can be a little intensive experience where you're you know you're like like uh we talked about different stages of lucidity and in the last one we're talking about like level five you are aware you are alert there is no question in your mind who you are and what is happening right now and uh i was very aware that i was in a dream which can be a little a little uh scary sometimes because First off, the first time that you have this happen, you're going to wake up. <laughs> you're going to get excited. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I'm doing it. And uh, you're going to wake up. And you're going to, yeah, it's, there's nothing to stop that first one, I don't think. Um, but this time, I took a deep breath. I said, okay, I'm in this hallway. Observe the hallway. Make sure I don't let go of the hallway. You know, it's not about closing my eyes and ignoring. That'll, that's a great way to wake up. But I'm going to take a deep breath, and I remember the whole reality kind of wiggled a little bit as I did this because there was the shock, the emotional upset of, oh, my God, I'm dreaming. And then there was the need for a deep breath and relaxation, and everything kind of settled. The reality settled back down a little bit, and I started to observe this corner, this room. So I was standing at this doorway, and I knew that the dream was originally going straight through this doorway, but I was in this main hallway, and I have no idea where it goes. And I'm kind of curious. And so I decided, let's just explore. This is one of our first serious lucid dreaming experiences. I'm going to do nothing but explore. And so um, I knew that one direction down the hallway was uh, the house that I had just come from when we decided to come to the hospital. I knew that the door that I was just standing at led towards whatever kitchen that my friend was going to cook up fish. My friend was mysteriously missing. Just as soon as I realized I was dreaming, my friend disappeared. Uh, and then I knew that the other doorway led to the aquarium. So there was one direction I didn't know. There was just down the main hallway. And so I started walking down the main hallway and all of a sudden it turned to the left or to the, I'm sorry, it turned to the right. Um, it's interesting. I can visualize this very clearly as if it happened to me physically. And that's something that you'll find with uh, practice uh, that definitely happens. So uh, I turned to the right and I found myself, uh, there was maybe 10 more feet and then the, the, the path turned harshly to the left again. So it was a 90 degree and then a 90 degree. And I found myself in a large lobby. It was a hospital lobby and there were doctors and nurses and patients and individuals that are visiting. And it was very busy. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of people and 
I remember thinking to myself, one way that I could experiment here is by having some conversations with my subconscious. And this would be an interesting thing to do. And there was a, a doctor that was walking past and he was having a conversation with someone. And I wanted to talk directly to my subconscious. I wasn't sure what that would look like. So I stopped him. He was going about his business in the dream as the character that he was. And I stopped him. And I remembered reading about how some characters are lucid when you're lucid. And some characters are not lucid when you're lucid. And there's kind of a, a variable there just like there's a variable with you and how lucid you are. And you're never really sure when you stop a random dream character how they're going to feel and what they're going to be like. And I, uh, I stopped him and I said, hey, um, who are you? And he goes, I'm a doctor. Kind of, you know, like almost standoffishly like, duh, what kind of, look at how I'm dressed kind of a thing. And I said, yeah, okay, but who are you really? kind of trying to hint at him to see if he was lucid and he looked a little uncomfortable and he looked at me and he said I don't understand what you mean and I said do you know what's happening right now and he's like I'm trying to tend to my patients and I said no do you really know what's happening right now and he started to get very nervous as if he was worried that some third party was going to notice. Uh, maybe he did have a little bit more information, but he wasn't going to risk his own safety in order to give me that information. And slowly, his face became bulbous and green and kind of almost liquidy, where it would ripple, and the shape that he was definitely started to shift, and he looked worried, and he started looking over his shoulder, and over his shoulder, I saw a man in a trench coat and sunglasses stand up and start walking towards us with purpose. And it was at that moment that I realized my subconscious was trying to resist, that it didn't want me to be awake, and it was going to stop me from destroying this dream. And uh, violently, if it needed to. <laughs> And this is a thing that can happen until you become friends with your subconscious. It might not like that you're there. It might consider it a threat. Now, it can't really do anything. It can't hurt you, right? You know, worst case scenario, it kills you in the dream. You wake up and, oh, no, the whole thing was a dream anyway. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, I've tested this. I've, I've, you know, taken this to the extreme. And uh, nothing happens when it hurts, attempts to hurt you. Um, if you're alert enough, if you're lucid enough, you can even let it try to hurt you, stay dreaming, and just go, look, I'm invincible. You can't touch me. That's definitely an option, but it does take a little bit more focus than I had developed at the time. And so as I saw my subconscious was resisting, it, I, it was clear that it was walking towards me to resist my tampering. And I... Uh, and it was in this character, this uh, man in a trench coat with uh, sunglasses, almost like a like a secret agent. Almost I think like the Matrix and like Agent Smith. It was almost one of those moments where like I was in you know the dream that is the you know like the Matrix that is your dream world, and then Agent Smith was like, ah shit, there he is, gotta go get him, kind of thing. Um, so I turned around uh, to my left because 
Um, when I first walked in the room, one thing that's really interesting about this particular dream is that the stationary room stayed pretty consistent. It's very strange for that to happen. But uh, so I came in from that main hallway after one turn to the right and one turn to the left came in the main hallway and let's call that south there's doors to the north there's chairs to the east and i had turned to face east in order to have a conversation with this doctor so i turn to my left just to the to the main doors and i walk out the main doors and they open for me and it's a nice sunny parking lot and it's a parking lot that i've been to before it's not just any parking lot there's a specific shopping center not far from where I grew up, that had a specific parking lot that was laid out in a certain way and uh, run down in certain spots and not run down in others. And um, it was a, a, a significant distance from the road. There's a specific, you know, distance from the road. And uh, when you get to the main road, is is like a main road. And I remember immediately recognizing this place <laughs> because I was awake enough I, I kind of saw how my brain was taking shortcuts to create this experience by just pulling something from memory and kind of placing it there and I saw this myself enter this parking lot um, I knew that I was being chased but I knew that they were limited to kind of the physics of the dream and I remembered my friend who we had that parking lot conversation i remembered something that he had told me about his experience with a dream included like thinking oh i can do that anime fast run on water thing and just whoosh, super speed and that he had had that happen that he had like tried to run with super speed and had successfully run with super speed and i thought you know what really helped me get away right now super speed <laughs> and so i did i took one step forward and I just ran as fast as I could and I cleared that entire parking lot in like two seconds and it was a huge parking lot it was something that running full speed in real life across that real parking lot probably would have taken me oh man probably five or six minutes it was a pretty large parking lot and this was a couple seconds and it was all the way across it was just and I stopped at the road and I thought to myself I can put this road in between me and that agent if I just jump because it was a really busy road. There's like cars going back and forth and back and forth and traffic, right? And uh, so I jumped with the intention of super speed running and then super jumping all the way over this road. And I did what a lot of people do <laughs> when attempting to navigate. I focused too much on the obstacle I was attempting to uh, to jump over. And I fell into, you know, I landed where I was paying attention to, which was the street. And I landed in the middle of traffic and I was hit by a car. And I remember uh, the person getting out of the car and being like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And it slowly going black as I was lying down on the ground. And I remember the whole experience being sideways for a little bit because I was you know, leaned over on one shoulder. And uh, it didn't hurt, but uh, there was a defeat to that because I was trying so hard to get away. And then I woke up. So that was one of my first, like, real experiences with lucid dreaming. 
and I think it does a lot to illustrate a whole bunch of different things. Um, one of which is uh, the way that some spaces or ideas might be more than one option. So in the previous episode, we talked about numbers being inconsistent. I might have more than five, but less than six fingers, you know. Um, in this case, with this example, I was outside and inside at the same time at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the dream. So that's a that's a pretty interesting thing. You know, it's an impossible definition, but within a dreamscape, it makes sense, and you just kind of go along with it. It also illustrates an idea that we touched on in the last one about how sometimes dreams are very liquidy, in the way that one idea can drift into and mix with another idea. And so the hallway, the space that I was occupying, and the fish tank, the space that I was walking past, had blended into one thing and become one single object. And now I was walking through the flying fish aquarium. So that gives you kind of a real example of that. Um, one thing that's uh, consistent uh, is the hallway. The hallway st stayed true its form, so it's not always that things blend in with each other. The more centralized of a point they serve in the storyline, the more likely they are to stay consistent. Uh, it also illustrates the idea of the reality check and the moments directly after a reality check, which we'll talk about, needing to calm down a little bit in order to have a successful lucid dream. And then it it illustrates the idea that sometimes the subconscious might not like you to be there until you have made friends with the subconscious in the first place. So those are all different aspects of lucid dreaming. Uh, we also talk about impossible feats being the ability to run really, really fast or jump really, really high. I jumped like 30 feet up in the air. I just landed in the middle of the road. It was, if I would have focused on landing on the if I would have focused on the sidewalk on the other side instead of focused on the road, I probably would have landed it just fine and kept going. Um, who knows? Maybe I would have woke myself up uh, regardless. I don't know. But that uh, that story is really important because it, it, it gives you a lot of different examples of some of the stuff we've already talked about or stuff we're going to talk about soon. Um, I've had a lot more experiences with lucid dreaming. Um I feel that if I tell one more, we will be at the end of an episode. <laughs> this will be a three-episode topic. And while I would be willing to talk more about these if people request more lucid dream experiences, I definitely have a lot more of them to talk about. Uh, I would much rather dive into the specifics on how you can have your own experience now. Because it's one thing to listen to me rant on and on about an experience I already had it's a much cooler thing for you to have your own experience and honestly I want to hear about it so uh, if you do manage to lucid dream and you use these techniques that are in this please let me know right up in as much detail as I just went over you know where did it start what was it like what ideas do you remember how did you feel those kind of things write up a long experience about it and send it to me you can email me at nate at whitewoodpodcast.com and I'd love to see your successes it would really mean a lot to me because 
that's really one of the reasons why we're making the show is to uh, encourage others to uh, try these things that we found that work for us. So um, how do you lucid dream? So that's, that's what a lucid dream feels like. That's my, one of my experiences with one. But how do you do it? First off, you're dreaming every night. No, no, really. Every night. More than once. I know what you're thinking. I'm not dreaming more than once. I barely ever dream. I might dream once a month. No, 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 no. Really. There are a very, very small part of the population which has some form of disability or injury which would stop them from being able to dream. It is a very rare thing. I would bet strong money that you are not one of those individuals. However, most people don't remember their dreams. So even though your brain is going through those stages that we talked about in the last episode, where they go through stage one, two, three, and four, and then REM sleep, when they hit REM sleep, you are dreaming. But then when you, before you wake up, you're forgetting the dream. You're letting go of that information. So what we really need is uh, we need some kind of a method in order to uh, trick ourselves into remembering all of the details of the dream. Um, it's possible, if you're not remembering your dreams, that you're already lucid dreaming. That could totally be a thing. There are people who that happens to, where they are lucid dreaming and then forgetting the dream before they wake up. Um, something about the transition from the two states of consciousness, one being in the dream and one being outside of the dream and fully awake and alert in your regular waking life. Um, it can be kind of difficult to take the information from one to the other sometimes. But regardless, you are dreaming every single night. So... What do you do to remember the dream? The very first thing you need to do is accept that you're dreaming. And I think that a lot of people struggle there. Um, once you've accepted that you're dreaming, the next thing is you need to set an intention before you go to bed that you are going to remember your dreams. A lot of times, this is not going to work, and that's okay. There are more steps to this. Many times, this is enough for some people to at least remember a couple of seconds. Is just setting an intention before you go to bed, just kind of telling yourself, okay, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to dream, I'm going to wake up remembering some of that dream. So that makes a pretty big difference. Understanding that you're probably not going to remember your first two dreams, because as you go through those three full cycles, going through stage one, stage two, stage three, four, and then back to REM, every time you pass through that deep sleep stage, your mind is getting wiped. You're losing your memory of everything that's transpired so far. So twice throughout the night, and sometimes three times throughout the night, depending on how physically exhausted you are, you are uh, having a dream removed from your memory. So you got a couple options. Number one, let's say you actually wanted to get, get all of those different dreams. It's a very intrusive thing to your lifestyle to do this. I probably wouldn't suggest it. But uh, if you wanted to, just for the sake of experimentation, you can figure out when your REM cycles are going to be and then wake up before you re-enter deep sleep, write down the dream, then go back to sleep. That's one method. And once you've written it down, you've established that memory in your forefront of your mind, and you can now uh, recall it a lot more clearly. Uh, that can help quite a bit. helps to establish it and anchor it into something coherent, and then you won't lose it. So that's one thing that you can do. Another thing, and this is probably the fundamental practice on the entire concept of lucid dreaming and is just to keep a dream journal. If you want to dream really, really hard, keep a dream journal. Every time that you wake up 
you need to write down whatever you remember. When you first get started with this, there are going to be weeks and weeks and weeks where all you remember is like, I don't know, a color. I, I, I think the very first entry in my dream journal just says uh, happy or something or orange, one of the two. I think the second one says orange. The first one says happy. So the only thing that I could bring back was a sense of a feeling. And that's enough to start bridging the gap between the information in your dream and the information in your waking life. Until you kind of build that bridge, you're not going to remember your dreams. And this is actually a habit that goes away over time. This is going to be kind of one of the things where, sure, I can get you... If you follow all these steps and you do this and you take it very seriously, I can get you lucid dreaming in a month. Um, but if you stop doing it, it'll only take, you know, a couple of weeks and you revert back to not remembering your dreams and not really having very intense dreams. So uh, if nothing else, try to maintain a dream journal just all the time. Now, dream journals can also be valuable for other occult practices. Um, if you're just trying to dig around your subconscious for, you know, certain symbols those kind of things, it can be a very powerful uh, tool to just have a set of symbols and experiences that you went through. So uh, by no means is this only for lucid dreaming, but I would say it's a cornerstone to lucid dreaming is to keep a dream journal. Now, what I like to do is I like to have uh, a different, different ideas in my dream journal. First, before I go to bed, I write the date and the time that I went to bed. Uh, like as a header and then when I wake up the very next thing that I write so I just have a header that's already been written for me I'll just write what time I woke up it can really help when you're trying to figure out your healthy natural sleep cycle to have some time frames put out there when I first started this process I was not getting enough sleep at night and I was making it through my day so I didn't really consider it to be a serious problem but I was very low energy and I was grumpy and I was just couldn't figure out what's wrong with me and at the end of the day, I was just staying up too late, not getting enough sleep. And once I made that change in my life, even though I stopped actively lucid dreaming after a while because I wasn't putting as much effort into it, I still kept up the habit of healthy sleep habits because they had impacted my life in a positive way. I felt more energy and happiness and, uh, throughout the day. So what you want to do is you want to put a piece of paper or uh, I'm sorry, a notebook, put like a notebook doesn't have to be anything special. I can understand why some people go out and spend $20 on some special journal that has a nice cover that's very, you know, uh, special to them. I can understand that. Uh, I can also understand being the person who's like, bucket, I'm going to spend 20 cents at the, uh, at the store and get, you know, some lined paper and it's going to be done. That's all I need. Both ways are valid. doesn't really matter. Get your notebook, pen, uh, I find that a pen is a little bit more valuable than a pencil, unless it's a mechanical pencil, because you don't always have time once waking up to sharpen and maintain the lead. You kind of have to go quick at first, so it helps to just use a pen. So, pen, paper, within arm's reach of waking up. Then, uh, before I go to bed, I write the header. What day is it? And maybe anything else that I can think of. Like, for example, uh, my first one uh, included, uh, this was before I got sober. Uh, 
Uh, before I started to get sober, I would write down how much I had had to drink each night. Um, at the time, alcohol was a pretty major factor in my life, and uh, I was struggling with it. And to anybody who is also struggling with that, you're not alone. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help. And I found a lot of love and support in the community of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it was very successful for me to get me into a place where I was in control. But by no means do I think that everyone needs that. Uh, just those people who do consider it an option. It's uh, valuable. Um, but at the time, I was writing down how much I had to drink uh, because I was drinking every night, but varying amounts. And I wanted to see how much that was a factor because there is some data to suggest that uh, alcohol suppresses the dreams uh, to a certain extent, but that alcoholics build up a tolerance to this effect and are capable of dreaming and lucid dreaming um, in nights that they drink. I have found that very much to be the case. Um, I, I know there are some other people, there's some comedians even, that have some podcasts that are out there um, that have said that the nights that they get blackout drunk, they... Uh, they themselves self-identify as alcoholics and they say that the nights that they get blackout drunk are the nights that they lucid dream so uh, while for most people alcohol becomes a barrier for some people uh, it might not be as much of a barrier uh, because of tolerances and those kind of things so um, you write down any kind of important information maybe you're struggling with depression you want to write down how you felt because you think that that might become a factor for both interpreting the dream and also for how you do at lucid dreaming. Maybe uh, you're trying to keep some data on what the weather is like, and maybe you're curious if you're going to have a little more success on certain temperatures or certain types of baromic pressure, uh, those kind of things. So any details that you want to record go in your header the minimum, I would say, is date and time that you went to bed. And then when you wake up, the time that you woke up. And then maybe like a, a note next to it, how much sleep was that actually? So then I use a straight line across the page to denote that it's a different entry, so a different day. And I use a squiggly line to denote that it's a different dream. So if I remember two dreams, uh, in, in the night, I would write down the first one that I remember happening. Sometimes two happen at the same time. That is something that can happen. Your brain is a fascinating, fascinating mechanism. I do have some in my dream journals where I wrote them side by side with a squiggly line down the center because I can't distinguish which one happened at which time because as far as I can tell, uh, they happened at the same time, but they were different narratives. <laughs> that can happen. It, it gets real weird when you start recording this kind of stuff. Um, but a squiggly line for this is a different dream and a solid straight line for this is a different entry because it's a different night. That's kind of what I would do um, and definitely suggest that as a practice. Your first couple entries are going to be dumb. They're going to be like one or two words. It's really important to just get some kind of a word in there. It doesn't matter what the word is, anything. So if you wake up and the only thing you can remember is that you felt happy during the dream. Write down the word happy. If you can only remember, man, I don't know, I was looking at something and it was orange, write down the word orange. Um, if you can remember like a shape or the layout of a room, draw a picture. Any kind of information that you can bring to start bridging that gap 
and slowly over time you'll hit you'll hit a point where you think this isn't working and if you keep with it it'll usually happen for most people at about like a week and a half to two weeks all of a sudden the floodgates open you'll go from i'm remembering basically no details on tuesday night and then on wednesday night you'll remember three pages worth of information and you'll have to like start to schedule your morning to include writing in that dream journal because you're not waking up early enough to go about your day if you need to sit there and write down you know three pages worth of information and it's like the floodgates open all at once it's crazy but that's kind of what has happened in my experience and the experience of a lot of people around me so um that's where uh you'll start to see long-term effects on remembering your dreams because you'll build up your mind towards being able to do that if you stop doing this you will revert back and it usually takes i would say about three months to revert back to not remembering your dreams everybody's going to be a little bit differently especially with something subjective like dreaming so some people are going to be more skilled at this some people are going to be less skilled at this but i have yet to meet somebody who couldn't do this step and make it work everyone who has tried this step has succeeded so that's kind of a first step how do you remember your dreams now one trick that matters a lot when you first wake up is not to move your body i get that you're going to open your eyes your alarm clock's going off there's a beeping annoying appliance in your room i get it just take a second be sitting in your body be awake you don't have to open your eyes if you open your eyes that's fine close them again and uh for this purpose i strongly suggest that you make uh, a secondary alarm and the reason for that is it's possible that you're not awake enough and when you sit still in the same position that you drift back off to sleep and i don't want you to miss work so uh yeah it, pro pro gamer tip <laughs> uh set a second alarm um the position that your body is in is going to matter when it comes to remembering so if you are on your left side curled over when you uh remember when you wake up and then you have to roll over in order to grab your journal roll back into that original position close your eyes and try to recall as many details as you possibly can the position of your body is going to become a major factor here so your entries uh are going to be dependent on how much you remember rolling back into a position helps and at first they're all going to be simple once you open the floodgate you're going to have a whole bunch of information and that's just part of the process so you've got pages and pages and pages let's say you've got a week's worth of entries um, now the fun starts you're probably starting to remember more than one dream during the night you're probably in week two two and a half once you hit this point and what you can do is now that we have recall now that we can recall our dreams obviously on the one hand we can start doing dream interpretations it's definitely something that uh very much down the occult side of things um you can use that for divinatory purposes or just analyzation of the self or just uh you know analyzation of symbols those kind of things um but one of the things that we're going to want to do is find patterns in your dream so you've saved up a week's worth of 
long-form dreams. Sit down with a pen and find as many similarities across different nights as possible. Now, because things will kind of drift into each other uh, like dream liquid, uh, it's very, very possible that in one night you have a certain theme come up many, many times as your brain kind of floats around that idea. But when you start having similar concepts across different dreams in the night because you've already gone through stage four sleep and uh, you've already forgotten, you know, you had that wipe, that reset happen, um, that is notable. And I dreamed something last night and I dreamed something tonight. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be like a reoccurring dream. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It can just be um, a reoccurring theme, something that you run into a lot. For example, I had a friend. I was helping her to learn how to lucid dream. And for her, members of her family was a really big one. So constantly throughout her dream, her dad would be there, her brother would be there, her sister would be there. Some of these were fictional representations of a brother or a sister. They weren't like actual uh, family members, but they took up the archetypal role that was a family member inside the dream. Sometimes it was like a real representation of their real brother, sister, father. Their mother wasn't showing up a lot. It was interesting. Um, but that might be an example of a pattern. For me, I have a lot of times where I get stuck in my dreams searching for something that was just there. So like, uh, I'm a very detail-oriented person. Let's say I set down something on the table and it's, I don't know, a red book and there's a whole bunch of other books on the table. And then I turn around and I come back and I'm like, where's the red book? Man, there's a whole bunch of books on this table. And I will sit there and sort through all these different books looking for this red book, never able to find it because... You know, dreams are kind of quantum in that weird way where maybe the red book no longer exists because my brain just filled in the tabletop with, you know, random books. Maybe there's not a red book anymore. Maybe it's just a pile of books, a concept that is a pile of books. So um, very often I find myself, because if I'm a detail-oriented person, to be sifting through some detail looking for something that I just had a minute ago and it not being there. That might be something that is a recurring thing for you as well. Um, we're going to save these for something else in a little bit as we start to work past step two. But it's a pretty good idea to have some data from your dream journal in order to find out more information. So now on to step two. How do you become aware of the dreaming itself and actually wake up to it? This is the fun part, right? Right? Anybody in the back? Nope. It's not the fun part. It's not that it's painful or uh, especially difficult, but it's tedious. And, it, and this is the part that everybody gives up at. And it's very frustrating for people who are trying to teach others to lucid dream because I'm interested a lot in you know people's first experiences in this. And so I've tried to teach several of my friends. And every friend that has succeeded succeeds directly after this point. And it usually takes about a week. Every friend that has failed has given up right here. This is where they give up. And so it's it's very frustrating. I'm sure for them as well. But for me, to actually see the people quit at exactly the same spot every time has become a major point of frustration. Uh, you can make it through this stage. 
it's not difficult. It's not something that you're going to fail at doing. It's just tedious. It's like um, a chore. And uh, people don't like chores. I can understand that. So, the first, there's three different ways that I would suggest getting into the door. Behind the door is lucid dreaming. You're on the other side of the door. You're aware that you're having dreams every night, but how do you pick the lock or make a key or kick the door down? So, um, these are the three methods. Number one, picking the door. Call these reality checks. This is a pretty simple practice. Some people are a little uncomfortable with them, but I promise they are a valuable practice. So, the idea is pretty simple. You find something that uh, is not true in the dream that is true in physical reality. And then throughout your waking life, this is the important part, waking life, you regularly try to check to see if you're dreaming. And when you're awake, you're going to continue to come to the same conclusion every time. Yeah. Am I awake? I'm not sure. Are you awake right now? This could be it. M Mr. Random person on the radio telling you to check if you're awake. Maybe that's your dream sign. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you do a reality check. Reality checks can come in a lot of forms. Um, you're most often going to look at some detail and check to see that it stays consistent. So... Uh, a common form of a reality check is to try to push one object through another object because things aren't physical in dreams. They exist as you expect them to exist. And so if you place your hands on the table and you genuinely try to push through the table, ugh, they won't go through the table. You have to genuinely try. You have to expect your hand to go through the table and really give it a shot. And if you're awake, if you're in reality, your hand won't do it no matter how much you try. Well, okay, I shouldn't say no matter how much you try. I suppose if you break the table. But uh, you won't pass through objects, no matter how you hard you try, uh, unless you break them. <laughs> so that could be an example. Uh, I alluded kind of to my friend in the previous episode in the reality check that I noticed him doing around the office, but I didn't think of it as a reality check, and so I didn't know that's what he was doing. I just thought it was a weird, quirky thing he was doing. He would take his hands and push his hands into his hands to try to push his hands through his hands. And so he would uh, every day just put his hands in a, almost like a praying position with his elbows up. And he'd go, and he'd try to squeeze them through each other. And uh, the goal here with a reality check is similar to how in my dream example, I talked about a doorway. Every time I walked through a doorway, this is one of my reality checks. I would place my hand on the door frame and I would try to push my hand through the door frame. This is a pretty valuable practice because every time I see a doorway or recognize that I'm walking through a doorway, I would take a moment and try it. And if you build up the habit in your waking life, you'll accidentally do it in your dreaming life. If it's just a habit that you do, you'll do the same habit within the dream space. And that's really kind of the point is that if you're doing it over and over and over again, um, you'll take that behavior into the dream. So uh, because in dream, you're most likely just going to follow the narrative. You're, you're going to be yourself or something similar to yourself. You're, you'll have similar behaviors. If you are playing another character in your dream that is not you, it will still think and behave similar to you for the most part. Of course, there are exceptions, right? 
Um, so, but that character, that dream you, is going to follow the narrative that is the dream most of the time. So what you have to do is recognize that for the most part, people are not going to recognize that they're dreaming no matter how weird things get. Remember in my example of uh, lucid dreaming, there were fish flying around us in you know very unreal positions. Nothing about that sounded weird. But the second we walked past a door, I did a reality check. I pushed my hand through the door and I realized that I was dreaming. So um, the thing that you will take into the dream is not your rational ability to recognize that things are strange. That's not what's going to happen. You are going to take your behaviors and actions that you do regularly in your daily life. And so that's what a reality check is. Throughout your waking life, as many times as possible throughout the day, you're going to go out and try to prove whether you're awake or asleep. It starts with a question. Am I dreaming? Are you dreaming right now? I don't know. Check. Right? Then you check some aspect of reality. So we've given you that example. There's some other examples. Um, looking uh, at, at a fine detail of yourself is often a pretty popular one. So if you hold your hand up and you stare at your hand and you make sure, what does my hand look like? You might notice that uh, you don't have enough fingers, you have too many fingers, or the number of fingers is kind of shifting in between five and six, or um, the longer you stare at the shape of your finger, the more the shape of your finger changes. And so it almost looks like an icicle that's being hit with a blowtorch. It's like melting and, um, you know, being, being uh, shifting in its shape. So all those kind of things might potentially happen. So a common one is stare at your hand, count your fingers, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, flip it over, look at it, look away, try it again. Um, another one is double checks. This is very, very popular. Details change in dreams all the time, especially when you're not looking at them. And so if you look at a clock um, and it says it's 4.37 and then you look away and you look back at the clock, does it still say 4.37 or has the time changed? Right? Now, I don't just mean 4.38. Don't freak yourself out when you're awake. But is it now 9.05? You know, that might be an indication that you're dreaming. Uh, text, written text, very similar. It's a very complex idea. Your subconscious doesn't fully understand written text. Many times you'll look at words, they won't even be words, they won't make sense. But if they do, you can look at the written word, it says whatever it says, you look away, you look back, see if it has changed. Small details will flip regularly. Large details need a little bit of encouragement a lot of times in order to flip. So let's say you're in a parking lot, there's a car, you look at the car, the car is red. You say to yourself, the car is red, you turn, look away, turn back and while you're turning back say to yourself the car is blue right try to make the car blue when the car is still red uh, you know you have information that you're awake if the car shifts with your will uh, while you're not paying attention to it then you know of course that you're dreaming so these are some different types of uh, practices solid objects is one that I use pretty regularly I like doorways because you walk through a lot of doorways in your waking life and because of that, there's a lot of doorways in your dreaming life. And so you can go to a doorway, put your hand on the door frame, and intend, and this is really important, don't intend to just hold your hand there. Really think to yourself, I'm going to push my hand through this, 
and just check to see how solid it is, right? You don't have to be super obvious with this, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a doorway. It's just a good reminder to do a reality check every time you walk through a doorway because it's something that happens to you quite a bit. Um, another one is you push your fingers through your fingers, push your hands through your hands, those kind of things. So uh, those, are, those are some obvious ones. Uh, another one is to hold your breath, plug your nose, and then with your nose plugged, you try to breathe out through your nose. And uh, when you do that, if you're capable of breathing with your nose firmly plugged by your hand, um, then you're dreaming. If you can't, which if you're awake, you can't, hopefully, unless there's some... Don't do this too hard. You could potentially damage some of your nose and respiratory system. But, you know, just check really quick. And it turns out that I am, in fact, awake. So those are some examples of reality checks. There are a ton of other ones out there. The important thing, uh, I would say, is do as many of those throughout the day, not encouraged by, uh, like, for example, my friend failed at this for a long period of time until we kind of pointed out some other ways. He set alarms on his phone to remind him to do it. It doesn't work really well, because what if you, in your dream, your alarm on your phone doesn't go off, right? There's never that inkling to, to do it. So it works really good to use something physical that you pass by on a regular basis, both in your dreams and awake, like door frames. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to wait for a cue, um, like every time your mom calls you or every time your phone beeps or something along those lines. It doesn't really work very well, because sometimes those things don't make their way into the dream. What works really well, and the best case scenario for reality checks, is if you just remember to do it. If you just throughout the day think to yourself, I should do a reality check, I should do a reality check, I should do a reality check. If you can get yourself to do uh, 25 to 30 reality checks in a single day, every day, for two weeks, you are going to lucid dream. You will have built up that habit. Now here's the thing about reality checks. They start to expire. You have to kind of uh, keep them fresh. They're much more um, successful if you've been doing them for um, only a little while. And so every couple of weeks, as you get to the point where you can do a reality check just passively without even thinking about it, recognize that that's, that means that in the dream you can passively do it without really paying attention to it. And you want to pay attention to it. That's the point. You will never be lucid in your dreams if you are not lucid in your life. So the point is, check on a regular basis if you're being lucid in your regular life, and that will encourage lucid behavior in your sleep. And then what's going to happen is one day you're going to be in your dream. You're going to do this thing that you've built a, a check around. You're going to try it. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize, oh shit, I'm dreaming. And everything is going to come back to you. You're going to think, wow, you know, the past 10 minutes have been really weird. I'm an idiot for not noticing that the fish are flying around through the air. Why wouldn't I notice that? The reality is you were going along with the narrative, and that's part of dreaming, right? Not really great to focus on that right now. The first thing you need to do is calm down. That's step one. Step two is try to interact with the environment. Those two steps are decided for you. Okay, there's, there's no, oh, I need to do this or I want to do that. You can figure that out when you're there. Or you can set intentions before 
you get around to it, that's fine too. But the very first two steps after realizing that your reality check has, uh, has confirmed that you are in the dream is to first deep breath, calm down, don't let your blood pressure and your excitement spike so much that you exit the wavelengths, the calm that is your brain being in a dreaming state. If you get too excited, your brain will wake up and you will wake up in your bed, okay? So first, calm down, take a second. This is where meditation comes in really heavily. It really helps to be an avid meditator because you can just calm, bring yourself back to center. Then the next thing you need to do is observe your environment because that's the second thing that's gonna try to trick you. If you spend too much time or, or too drastically change your environment, you'll find that you wake up. So the second thing you need to do, especially your first couple of times, is observe your environment. Look around. In the case that I was in that hospital hallway, I looked around, I looked down the hallway, I looked back the other direction, I looked at the door frame, the shape of the door frame, the color on the walls, the painting that was at the end of the hallway, I looked at the direction that the hallway had moved, I looked down at the floor. Uh, engage more than one of your senses. Um, get a sense for the space, but also engage more than one of your senses. Take your hand and run it along the wall in the dream. The more you interact with that space, the more grounded in that space you become. And so if you were to immediately just start running and try to change the scenario, you'll wake up pretty quick. If you were to, uh, I don't know, try to change everything by like teleporting to something else, you'll often find yourself teleporting into your bed by waking up. So don't, don't change anything quite yet. Just look around, touch the environment, rub your hand on the wall, spinning is a really great way. Turn all the way around 180 slowly. Too fast is a different method. Slowly turn so that you can see in 360 what the entire environment looks like. And all of that is gonna encourage you to stay within the dream. So that's how reality checks work. And if you want, you can go online and learn as much about reality checks as possible. Reality checks is probably the most consistent way for people to get the door unlocked, I always call it picking the door. You're picking the lock on the door. It's finesse, it's frequent practice, and the door is now unlocked. Congratulations. Now, what if you want another method? Maybe this isn't working for you. Maybe you just want multiple methods. That way, you're more likely to have a lucid dream if there's two methods that you're actively practicing. These could both be, you know, of benefit for you. Uh, there was a whole bunch of data collected on your dreams when you started to create your dream journal. Now, the point of a dream journal is very much to remember and build a relationship with your dreams. However, as long as it's there, we might as well use it for everything it's got. So the, uh, the notebook, go through it, find the patterns that uh, show up regularly in your dreams. For me, one of them was medical situations, hospitals, doctors, those kind of things, medicine, those kind of things seemed to pop up really frequently. Um, and then there are some others like um, uh, door frames, obviously, I started to utilize. Um, I used them as a reality check more so than a dream sign, but that's a potential. One of my friends we talked about 
with family members, you'll find some kind of a pattern that exists in your dreams. Uh, we call those dream signs. So you take that dream sign and you use that as a moment of inspection to see if you're dreaming. So the idea is pretty sim simple. For example, I talked about how sometimes, frequently really not sometimes, lots of the time, I find myself lost searching for something that I just set down or searching back and forth through something as I uh, get stuck in the details. That was one of my dream signs. Um, I think it's partially just the way that dreams operate. But uh, another time, I was able to recognize that I was dreaming because I was having that moment. I went, hang on, a lot of times when this happens, I'm dreaming. Am I dreaming right now? And it turned out that I, in fact, was. So while the reality check is a great way to confirm that you're dreaming, the dream sign is a great way to recognize that it's time to do one of those kind of checks because, you know, you found yourself in some kind of repeating pattern, some kind of repeating situation. So I strongly suggest the use of dream signs. They're just patterns that we find in our dreams. Now, that's what I like to call making a key to the door. It takes a little bit more effort, and you are. You're kind of shaping your own method of getting in. It's not quite the finesse and practice that picking the door is. You're really just kind of going through and trying to figure out what shape the, the key mold is, make your own key, open the door, right? This last method is I like to refer to as blowing the door down or kicking the door down. This is disruptive to your life. It's loud. It's obtrusive. It's... Uh, it's not something that I would really suggest everyone use all the time because it disrupts your sleep cycle. However, if you're really struggling to get in there and you think that you might benefit by just blowing the door down, having a couple lucid experiences that gives you an idea of what to shoot for, and then maybe after that you can go back to trying again with your reality checks and with your dream signs, there's always the explosive option that is... Uh, the C4 method, the uh, the blow the door down, <laughs> make your own door. If you can't pick the lock and you can't make a key, make your own door. <laughs> so this one goes back to utilizing those patterns that happen during your sleep cycle. So we talked about sleep cycles and going through stage one and stage two and stage three and four and then into REM sleep, right? Now you wipe your brain every time you get into deep sleep and the longest REM happens at the end of the night, just before you wake up, right? So the most dreaming occurs during that last cycle. Also during that last cycle is the optional deep sleep. That deep sleep doesn't happen every single time. It happens most of the time, but it's not every time. And so what you can do is you can wake up and you need to be awake long enough in order to have frontal lobe activity and be fully alert, and then you can go back to sleep. Now, the reason why I call it the explosive method is because it's very disruptive. It disrupts your sleep. If you, uh, if you live with a partner, uh, it disrupts their sleep and uh, it, it's, uh, there's, it's kind of a crapshoot if you can even get back to sleep after that. You know, some people can't. 
And so if you were to try to use this too many nights in a row, you might find yourself lacking sleep. I would always suggest getting a f the full amount of sleep, which is not always eight hours. Some people need more. It's usually about eight hours. Some people, very rarely, there's people with disabilities that only need like four or five. Most people need somewhere in the range of eight. Some people are seven and a half hours. Some people are nine hours. Some people are nine and a half hours. You gotta figure out when you naturally wake up, figure out what that pattern is. But for the most part, it's gonna be eight hours, right? And with someone that's typical like that, you're gonna go through stage one, two, three, and four, one, two, three, and four, one, two, skip three and four, and go into REM again. And that's the sweet spot. We're gonna utilize that last cycle. So if you wake yourself up about six hours into your sleep cycle, stay awake for 10, 15 minutes, upwards of 20 minutes, but never a full half hour, then you can re-enter your sleep in the same cycle. If you stay up too long, if you stay up that full 30 minutes, uh, when you go back to sleep, you are going to uh, reset your entire circadian rhythm and be back at stage one sleep. However, if you catch the timing just right, which is one part of building the bomb, and if you uh, stay awake for the right amount of time, which is the second part of building it, then you can just kind of make your own door to get into it. And this is the way that it works. You lie down, you're about to go to sleep, and you just focus on, I'm about to be dreaming, I'm gonna skip all the stages of sleep, I'm gonna go straight from being awake to dreaming, let's pay attention to exactly that process. And you can even kind of steer a little bit at this point and try to create a dream. So you might like imagine a specific scenario in as much vivid detail as possible as you're lying down to try to transition into a dreaming state. And uh, so let's, I, again, just like in the hallway when you first lucid dream and you wake up for the first time, I would interact with your environment. So you'd run your hands along the walls, along the grass, along the, you know, whatever surroundings you're trying to picture. Try to picture in as vivid detail with as many senses as possible that scene, and you will soon find yourself awake, lucid dreaming, and in that scene. Um, if you don't, try again maybe give it a couple nights so that you get some good rest because that's going to be really important but try again play first with the time of night shift it 20 minutes in one direction 20 minutes in the other direction try to find a sweet spot there and then start shifting um, the amount of time that you're awake usually you're, you're shooting for like 10 to 15 minutes for most people never a full half hour um, that'll let you be awake, alert, fully conscious, but not reset your circadian rhythm. So, um, yeah, so that gives you kind of an idea of how to blow the door down. And um, I really wouldn't suggest it regularly, but it sure can help, especially in the case of people like um, really needing to... Uh, to get it to happen so that they can figure out how to do it again. So that's how you lucid dream. Then what? I mean, sure, that's fun and all that. What do you do next? 
you're in the lucid dream. Let's say you used a reality check to get there. I, I would say that's the most consistent method, so that's probably what's going to happen for anybody who tries this. So you put two weeks into writing into a dream journal every day, every single day. It makes a really big difference. And you wrote down anything you could remember, even just one word, and now all of a sudden the floodgates are opened. Boom. You, you remember your dreams. And then you started working on reality checks, and you checked every uh, 25 30 times a day you did your reality checks and then here you were you were in a dream you were walking around and boom you became aware i am in fact lucid dreaming that's happening right now awesome awesome now what first thing to do calm down second thing to do ground yourself in the experience third thing to do go have fun do something interesting do what you want to do with it right um I would explore the layout of the spaces and note how they connect together and just kind of play around with like the physics of the place first. Uh, you're going to have this happen more than once, especially now that you've had it happen. You're going to probably put more effort into it. It's very exciting. And so don't feel like as soon as it happens for the first time, you're done, you're hosed, it's over. That's definitely not how it works. Okay. You made it happen explore investigate the story try to figure out the surroundings the motivations these, these are all symbolic things to uh, describe things that are happening in your waking life and so you can get a lot of meaning out of exploring the scenario how people are dressed how they're walking is everyone in your dream in a panic that might you know, give you some indications that maybe you need to find a little more me time and calm down a little bit. Those kind of things can really um, become a factor. Go communicate with individuals. Go talk to members of your dream. And uh, remember, some of them are lucid too, and some of them are not. And some of them are hiding that they're not because they're worried about what happens when the subconscious figures out that they have fallen out of line. So... Um, you know, play around with that. Talk to people. Ask them, you know, ask them what their motivations in life are. What are their struggles? What are the things, you know, that are that are really uh, helping or hurting them right now? And maybe in the process you can find some symbolic answers for some of the things that you're coping with that you didn't realize were there. So you can communicate pretty directly with your subconscious whether that dream entity knows or doesn't know what's going on. You can still kind of gleam some important information out. Um, you can ask direct questions and get very direct answers. Uh, we'll talk about doors and methods of doing that uh, in just a second. Um, and then, um, of course, indulge in some of the things that you want. Do you want to fly? Flying is difficult. You won't be interacting with a whole lot of things around you because... When you really break down flying, you're just kind of floating. You're not touching things. There's not a lot to listen to. There's not a lot to, you know, um, interact with. And so it's a pretty quick way to wake up. But I still think that everyone should have the experience. It's a lot of fun. And uh, maybe give that a try once or twice. You know, indulge in some of the other things that you want. Maybe there's, you know, some desire to experience, I don't know, something fun, something interesting. It might be... There's not really rules in your dreams, you know. You're not, you're not uh, hurting anybody by doing whatever it is that you want. And so, um, I don't think 
there's anything wrong with you know experimenting with things like sex or uh, maybe living out some kind of a fantasy through one of the narratives that in your waking life you would deem to be inappropriate like I don't know robbing a bank or um, I don't know anything that you might come up with that might be fun but also taboo those things are totally okay in the dream space you're in control it's your own dimension of imagination have fun with it so indulging in that space can be a lot of fun I, I would also encourage people to seek out the spiritual you know um, you, you can uh, you can communicate on a deep spiritual level with parts of yourself and parts of other things if you so choose and uh, have a, a meaningful experience and I think that usually what people do is they indulge first and that's okay it's part of who you are and then they get bored with indulging. I know I definitely did. I was like, man, this is totally boring. And uh, they learn that, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the meaningful and how much more drawn to that you really are, um, which can be a pretty profound thing to bring back into the waking life and act that way, you know, try to seek that out because that exists both in the dreams and in the real world. And so you can definitely have a relationship with that. Um, so navigating and protecting yourself become the next factor. What do you, okay, so you, you have all these goals, you're going to do that. How do you move around? How do you uh, make that kind of stuff happen? First off, whenever you're doing stuff, you need to be engaging with the environment or you will wake up. So that includes when I'm moving from one place to another. Let's say I hop in a car and I drive away. When you hop in a car and drive away in a standard dream, most of the time you'll get away with it. The scenario will strongly shift, but you'll get away with it. Um, when you hop in a car and drive away in a lucid dream, you are going to wake up. It happens most of the time. And so I would avoid any method of movement from one place to another that doesn't involve you moving your body bicycle probably fine car probably not there's not a whole lot of movement involved in that and that's uh, you not engaging with your environment and thus the environment is disappearing and going away and because your brain's a little more active it makes the whole dream go away instead of just change so um, definitely not the best method one that I really enjoy is doors. Doors work great because there's a physical barrier between you and whatever's on the other side of the door. And so you can't see or hear anything on the other side of the door. It The other side of the door is a, is a conceptual idea. It only exists in your mind. And you're just going to go, well, on the other side of the door is, and then insert whatever you want. Now, you can just let it kind of be. You want to explore, that's fine. But you can also make that door go wherever you want it to go so you could say on the other side of this door is i don't know the library whatever the whatever the thing is on the other side of the door that's fine right um, or you can use this to ask questions and get direct answers via your surroundings uh, so for example you could go to a door and ask something more abstract like you could say on the other side of this door is the thing that i want to see the most or the person I want to see the most or the thing that would benefit me or whatever however you want to ask the questions 
It's totally up to you. You're exploring your own psyche. So you open the door, and boom, it leads to some other place. It doesn't always have to be another room in the same building. In fact, many times it will not be. So it will drastically shift the scenario. Um, you can use this to your advantage. When your subconscious starts to turn against you, and uh, you haven't made friends with it yet, by the way, the way that you make friends with it is by accepting all of the different components of it. That includes the dark parts. Um, it, it is the Jungian shadow. Uh, Jung had a psychological archetype called the shadow, where um, the shadow is the amalgamation of everything that you deny about yourself, everything you're in denial about. You give it to it, it becomes powerful, and it becomes your worst enemy. It's dark and evil and spooky and scary, and it freaks you out. But uh, your subconscious in dreams is pretty damn similar. And so the best way is to assimilate it into yourself. The best way is to just accept it for what it is and uh, not fear it because you're just feeding its fear of you and vice versa. Not fight it. You're just feeding its fight of you. So uh, that's what I would generally suggest. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of self-work to be able to get to the point where you can do that. So... In the beginning, you might find that you just need to be able to run, to hide, to fight, and that's okay. Those are valid methods. So I would come up with some skills that you think an extra-dimensional uh, imagination warrior might have some special powers, some special emblems, maybe a weapon. Kind of come up with who you are in the dream. Now... I can kind of give you some of the things that I have used and some of the things that I have found to be more effective than others. But the important point is that you come up with your own thing so that it feels authentic and it's empowered by you feeling authentic about it. It doesn't really matter how you want to go about it. Um, I strongly suggest melee weapons over ranged weapons because the subconscious, the imagination, and the dream world have a lot of trouble um, formulating rules and understanding how ranged weapons work. And so if you are going to fight, uh, which is a valuable practice to understand, if you are going to fight, um, melee weapons works better because the dream understands melee weapons. Clubs don't tend to work either. Punching doesn't tend to work really well. I think it has something to do with how much force is necessary. It's just such a small object. So I have found that blades work better than clubs, and clubs work better than guns or bows. So something to keep in mind if you decide to give yourself the equipment to uh, fight back against the subconscious. Doors allow you to ask for abstract things, and one of the things that you could ask for is a safe place. So if you are running from your subconscious and you see a doorway, and you go and you say, behind this door is somewhere safe. And you open the door and you step into the safe place and you close the door behind you. You are no longer being pursued by your subconscious. It will stop. And uh, the reason why is a giant mystery that I strongly suggest that you dig into. It will definitely lead you down the road of making friends with your subconscious. Which <laughs> is a good friend to have. Speaking of friends, you could also maybe potentially have some friends in there. Maybe 
Uh, I know a really popular idea that shows up in anime a lot is like a small anima animated animal like a companion that, you know, has some kind of a magical ability that assists you. And uh, there was one point when we were trying to see what was really possible in dreams, and me and my friend decided that we would see if you could make entities, and you very much can You're in your regular waking life. Just come up with the specifics, come up with a name, formulate this idea, this character, and then the next time that you're lucid dreaming, call to the character, make sure that you give it some method of getting to you, and it will show up. Um, so you could potentially have some form of protection. I find this to be a very valuable practice because sometimes you can even find a way for it to ground you back in the lucid dream if you so give it that ability. This is where it gets really cool. There was one time where I had one of these types of familiars, companions, and uh, I woke up, I fell down, lied down on my back, woke up, and then I felt it because I was still when you wake up, you still have like a couple seconds of dreaming. A lot of people don't recognize that when it's happening, but if you open your eyes immediately upon waking up, like, the room will still be a little wonky. So I was in the area where it was a little bit wonky, and I felt this claw of my familiar grab me and yank me back into the dream. And then on the dream side, not on the physical reality side, I felt my body being lifted up and I put back on my feet and I continued to lucid dream for another, I don't know, probably, I got probably an extra six minutes out of it. Uh, so it, it is something that can be done. Um, definitely suggest making a friend. <laughs> um, uh, locomotion uh, through turning around into something is valuable, but you have to spin fast. So if you spin slow, you can ground yourself in the scenario it really helps if you're starting to lose it, right? If you spin quick, just whip, turn around. You can set an intention that whatever's behind you uh, is this other direction. Even though, even though you just came from there, you're not staring at it right now, so it's a little more fluid. And you can just be like, whip, turn around and be somewhere else. So that's an option. You don't necessarily always have to find a door. I find doors are really reliable. I really like them. Uh, but you don't always need them. Um, so, dangers... Uh, what do you do about dangers? Well, that's up to you. I personally went exploring in a lot of those places and found uh, excitement and fulfillment in the fact that they were kind of spooky and scary and took a little bit of uh, willpower to get into. Um, but most of the time, once I got into them, I found that it was my own spooky, scary feeling that I'm talking about right now that was kind of making that space into a spooky scary place so for example one time i was walking through a hallway i was having a conversation with a an entity there and we walked past a set of doors and they said you don't want to go down those doors and i was like the fuck i don't i'm going down these doors and i opened the doors and it was this dark evil hallway like from a horror movie and there was like a flickering light at the end and it was like an old hospital with all these broken tiles like imagine like an abandoned mental hospital and I started walking down and I started to see like blood on the walls and there was like, you know, like just everything spooky and scary. And really it's my own feeling of, you know, how I feel that's informing what my imagination is going to fill into this space. And the more that I experimented these kind of things, the more I started to feel comfortable with all the parts of myself. But 
anytime that you find yourself in a dreaming situation, remember that uh, you're not actually in danger. You're not physically in danger. So even if the bad guys get you and they stab you and they punch you and they hurt you and they shoot you and whatever, and you die, right? You get hit by a car, doesn't matter. What happens after you die in a dream? Either the dream shifts drastically and you find yourself in a new place or you wake up. And more often than not, when you're lucid dreaming, your brain is already active enough that it's waiting for a reason to wake up. So real danger doesn't exist. There's nothing that can hurt you there. And you might recognize that while you're in the dream. Maybe as your subconscious decides that it's going to fight back and it walks up and it stabs you in the chest with a knife, you look down at the knife and laugh because your subconscious can't fucking hurt you and it's adorable that it tried. So that might be, you know, part of what starts that conversation that allows you to become friends with your subconscious and not have so much of that danger aspect there. But remember... The danger is fun. Sometimes that resisting is part of the adventure, and that's okay too. So really just go down there, do whatever it is that you're going to do, and uh, feel empowered in doing that. Um, hopefully that gives you some tools and tricks and ideas. You remember that you're not limited to the means that you have in physical reality. So in the dream, all cars start with the idea of a car instead of a key. So you can go in there and just be like, oh, here's a car. I start the car. And there's not going to be a situation where it's like, well, you don't have a key. How are you going to start the car? Well, I just start it. Oh, that was weird. It started. Cool. Um, same thing applies to everything. Um, it, there are other impossibilities that you're going to find where, like one time I was in... Uh, a conflict situation resisting against danger and I found a store that had a knife that was in a plastic package and I reached through the plastic package pulled out the knife to, in order to cut open the plastic package so that I could pull the knife out so things don't necessarily have to make a lot of logical sense um, sometimes you're going to find that the solution is the same thing as the problem <laughs> um, so that being said, some of your abilities in the dream that you find yourself using, super speed, works great. Flying can be more complicated, not because you can't fly, but because you start to wake up. Um, teleportation doesn't work very well because you let go of the entire dream space that's around you. However, spinning, you're only letting go of half of it. That works pretty well. Doors works really great. You can also throw fire and lightning and, you know, you got wizard abilities or uh, super strength or those kind of things. You know, those are all components to what makes up you in your dream. Your own imagination is the only limitation. So I encourage you to uh, remember your own power in that place. It's only limited to your own imagination which you utilize in that moment. Um, you can obliterate the entire dream. Remember when you do that, you will wake up. But you are kind of God in that space where you're capable of anything. And just some of those things are too destructive to the environment and will wake you up. But um, you got a lot of options. Do whatever you want. And I really hope that 
it offers you an opportunity to explore some deep facets of the mind, the soul, spirituality, and indulgence that you would not have access to otherwise. I really hope that, uh, that you find something of meaning there, no matter what that meaning might be. Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.